And today we are going to be in Proverbs 22, looking at what is truly valuable. Proverbs throughout wrestles with uh, sin and righteousness. It wrestles with those that are poor and those that are rich. And how do we treat one another and how do we act and what do we truly value in life? And we're picking up right where we left off. Last week, we finished in chapter 21, verse 31. So if we consider the fact that Solomon didn't write the chapters and verses in there, those were added much, much later. Uh, we're, we're continuing right where he had let off, you might say. And, and what we're going to look at in, in chapter 22 is, is a series of verses that all, some of them it's not quite as ob- obvious, but in, in context, they all deal with this struggle and this desire for wealth, for prosperity in our lives. A- and they point us back to what is truly, truly valuable. So let's go ahead and read through it, and then we're going to go back and look at some of the verses, because as Proverbs often does, the verses that go together aren't necessarily next to each other. So let's look at this together. Uh, 22 verse 1 begins, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, and the rod of his fury will perish. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Like I said, not all of those look like they're dealing with this desire for riches or prosperity, but... In context, they all do go that way. But Solomon begins right at the beginning in verse 1 with telling us what is truly valuable in life. A good name is to be more desired, is to be wanted in your life more than great wealth. And now it's it's saying if you're going to seek after something, if you're going to go for something, if you want something, Seek to have a good name over wealth. Some people would rather have wealth and they don't care what they do to their name to get it. They're going to do whatever they have to, even if it destroys their... Really, when we're talking about name, uh, we're not just talking about your moniker and how we identify you. Your name, when we talk about a good name, what does it mean to have a good name? It means that when people hear your name... They are pleased. When people hear your name or think about doing business with you or working with you or living near you, it is something that benefits them. It blesses them to be around you. To have a bad name is to say, ooh, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. I don't want to have to do business with them. I don't, you know, it, it would be better to be no name 
Oh, I've never heard of him. Oh, I don't know who that is. I don't know how they behave. That is better than to have a bad name. But even greater is to have a good name because it's really talking about your reputation and your fame. Uh, A person's name had the, the idea of establishing a name and his name will last in the Old Testament. It had the idea of living on after you, that that you would have a name, that you would have children, and that you would have a name is the idea that, that they would continue and that they would be, oh, I'm the son of Abraham. I'm the son of Isaac. That you would still have a name, that you would be around. And to have the idea of having your name removed from history, that people would not speak your name, had the idea of basically being erased from history. You no longer exist It's as if you never existed. And what Solomon is telling us right on the bat is a good name, a good reputation, uh, that people would like you and know you and say, yes, that is somebody I can trust. That is somebody I would like to do business with. That is somebody I would like to live nearby. Or that is somebody uh, in in our hyper-political world that we live in, that is somebody I'd like to vote for. As opposed to, that's somebody I've got to vote for. Right? A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. And the second part of it is there as well. Favor is better than silver and gold. Now, we, the, the translators have done this. They, they have highlighted, because we think in linear terms, they've put the good thing out first. A good name and favor. But, but Solomon, when he wrote this, he really did it in a different way. He said... Uh, it, is, it is to be chosen a good name, more than wealth. And, and so the focus for him at the very beginning is, what do you choose to do in life? But the good name is right after that. But then on the second part, right after great wealth, the way it's written in the Hebrew is, more than silver and gold is favor. Now, that doesn't work in English, right? Now, we can understand why the translators changed it around for us. But if you focus on the way Solomon did it, wealth and silver and gold are are right next to each other. They are tight. They're the same thing. But to have a good name and to have favor, those are on the outside, and that means that they go together. And so the focus is uh, that that a good name, a good reputation is, is, is like grace. It is favor. That word favor is the word that we get grace from. And, and there's a word that's not even included in our translations, I hate to say it. Loving favor. Loving favor is to be chosen. Pleasant or agreeable. Something that is good. Good favor. And so, a good name is like good favor. It's like grace in your life. And a good reputation, a good name, a good reputation is more valuable than wealth. It is like grace from God to have a good name. When we think about what we value in our culture today and what we value in the world, what do, what do people elevate? What do they hold up? Think about the, the shows. I, I really, I've, I've never gotten into the um, reality, reality TV shows. You know, these game shows where they pile a bunch of people in a big house or they pile a bunch of people on an island or they pile a bunch of people somewhere and, and then they do things for, for some reason. None of them 
are based on the idea of being a good person that I can understand. None of them are based on treating people well and kindly because that's not entertaining. No, what we want is conflict. What we want is people treating each other terribly. I I saw just a a brief clip in, in a news feed of some TV show called Traitors. And they were, they were to line themselves up by who thought they were going to win this, this particular game at the very beginning. And, and I remember looking at it because I thought, well, what are we as Christians supposed to do? Are we supposed to take the seat at the head of the table? No, no, you take a seat at the end of the table. What would a Christian do in that place? They should say, I'm going to lower myself, not because I truly believe that, because... You know, I'm not going to claim honor. That wouldn't have worked out for you in this game because the two people in the very end got cut and sent home before the game even began. Because if you didn't think you were going to win, why are you here? And I just remember thinking, it was a very short clip, I remember thinking, well, there you go, Christians don't have any business in this stuff. Because anybody that would follow Jesus rightly isn't going to last in these things. Because as far as they're concerned, a good name isn't what matters. A good name is what hurts you. Being kind destroys you. And that's pretty much the way our society thinks these days. It's weakness. But Scripture tells us, no, a good name, a a good reputation to be a kind person, that is greater than wealth. It is like grace from God. It is favor. That is what is truly valuable. Then we're told that, now, now remember that favor was the last word in the Hebrew text. So just think about this. Talking about favor, about grace, about God's provision for people. The very next verse says, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is maker of them all. Instead of ending with silver and gold, if you, as you read it, you ended with favor. Now we go into that life is based on grace. The rich and the poor have a common bond. Whether you're rich or you're poor today, All of us are equal in the sense that the Lord is our maker. He is the one who has made us. Not only that, but the idea is conveyed that the Lord is the one who who makes them rich or poor. This was an Old Testament idea that, that if you were rich, it was because you had been good and God had honored you. And if you were poor, it was because you had failed and God was punishing you. Now Jesus throws that all out the window. But that was the way they thought back then. And that's what we see, that Abraham is, is a righteous man and he grows in his wealth. Jacob is supposedly, although he was um, doing his own thing to defraud his uncle, he was of the righteous family and so he, everything he did was blessed. Joseph, when he went down to Egypt, everything he did, everything he touched, everything he did was blessed. And that was a common refrain throughout the Old Testament, that if you're doing good things, God blesses you. And so here, the idea is that whether you're rich or you're poor, it is favor from God. He is the one that has done these things for you. Now, we're going to skip verse 3, because verse 4 continues that idea of the Lord's favor. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. There's that idea cut going forward again. And so a good name, a good reputation is better than wealth because really, and here's the focus, what are we seeking in life? 
If a person is seeking wealth in their life, then they're not seeking the good name. They're, they're chasing the result, not the work, not the right focus. The, 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 the focus should be on the Lord. The reward of humility, the results, the consequences of being humble and fearing the Lord are riches and honor and life. And let's not get too focused on the first one of those. Life is a good reward. Honor is a good reward. I think a lot of times, because we're, we're very materialistic as humans, we just stop on the, the, the riches part. But these two verses, as we think about what do we seek in life, well, a good reputation we should be seeking, a good name we should be seeking. And, and the reason being is because if we seek the Lord and if we, if we go after the Lord and if we seek to honor Him and to have faith in Him and we humble ourselves and we fear Him, the result will be that riches, honor, and life, those things, those come from the Lord. The Lord is the maker of the rich. The Lord is the maker of the poor. So the Lord is the one who provides. The Lord is the one who provides what we need. And, and as we see in the New Testament, the, the Lord is the one who provides all we have need. And whether you're rich or you're poor isn't based on necessarily how righteous we are. Although, if you are righteous, you will be rewarded. And if you are righteous, you will have enough. You may not be living in the gilded mansions, but quite honestly, I think sometimes that's actually the punishment, not a reward. But the Lord is the one who provides. And, and that, that is what Solomon wants us to understand as we, as we wrestle with our desire for material wealth or for, for health, for those things that the world seeks after. And this is what Jesus says. Don't, don't go wearying yourself, seeking out what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. That's what the Gentiles do. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you you'll you'll get what you need you'll have the wealth you need you'll have the food you need but seek first his kingdom and that's what solomon is saying in here he's saying seek a good name first don't seek after the money don't seek after the wealth the lord is the one who makes the rich and the poor focus on the lord focus on the source of all good things. Focus on the Creator, on your Maker. What does He desire? What does He call us to do? And, and, and so as we move into, um, He's the one that provides. And, and this is important when we think about how we go about living our lives. Going back to verse 3, and this is where we do the hopscotching business, right? So, so Solomon said verse 2, and then 3, and then 4. And 2 and th 4 go together, but they kind of lock in three and five with them so three tells us the prudent sees the evil and hides himself the prudent person is a crafty person a person who thinks about the future and about how to live the prudent sees the evil and hides himself he he doesn't want to be exposed to the evil but the naive, and we've seen this word before in Proverbs, it means the simple-minded. The, <laughs> literally, the open-minded, as in there's nothing in there. You know, Not open-minded as, as, oh, I'm, I'm willing to consider things, and I'm, I'm willing to think. No, no, the empty-minded, you might say. The naive go on. 
They don't see the evil, or if they do see the evil, they don't think anything of it, and they go on, and they're punished for it. They suffer for it. That literally, the word punished there means to fine. They're, they have, uh, it, it's going to cost them. They're going to have money extracted from them, a fine for life. And then we saw in verse 4 that the reward of humility, so the naive, they are punished in verse 4. Remember, it was the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches. So the reward, you might say, of being naive and moving on when the prudent person sees the evil and hides themselves, the naive person is the one that's going to go ahead right into that damage. Their reward is going to be punishment, a fine. The reward for the humility is the fear of the Lord. And then in verse 5, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. The, the, the person who is literally twisted is what perverse means, to be twisted or to twist something up, to do it, uh, to, to take something and to twist it. And so a person who is perver- perverse, they are, they, are, they are twisted in their thinking, in their living, and in their way, in the path that they are going, there are thorns and snares. Now, with verse 3, the prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on. And the language there is like on the path. If you can imagine in your mind a path that you're walking on. The prudent sees the evil and avoids it. They hide from it. The naive go on and they're punished. The naive walk in the way that is twisted, the perverse way. And there are thorns and there are snares in the way. But the person who guards himself, he who guards himself, will be far from them. The person who guards himself is the prudent person who sees the evil and hides. And that word guards, it's just like what we had last week in verse 24. Talking about, he, uh, not 24, excuse me, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. Well, he who guards himself, in that time, last week it was talking about our, the words we say and the things we think. But now it's talking about how we live our life, how we go along the path. And, and, and taking both of these together with the verses that they're skipping over, the, the focus is on, look, God is the creator, focus on him. And if you're smart and you humble yourself and you fear the Lord, you're going to be looking for evil. And you're going to see the path that leads to evil and you're not going to go down it. But the naive person, the person who isn't willing to submit to God, who doesn't fear the Lord, they're just going to keep going on. They're going to just go the way they want to go. And it's going to have thorns and snares. And they're going to end up being punished for it. They're going to experience the punishment of their choices in life. Now here's the thing. You you don't always know you don't always know what's down a road, right? This is why 820 slows down in a lot of places because people don't know what's around the bend and they decide to hit their brakes. They want to go a little bit slower and everybody has to go slow all of a sudden. And then we know that was the fact because as soon as you get around that corner, what happens? You can go 80 again because they couldn't see. They slow down. We can't always see what's around the bend. How, how are we prudent? How can the prudent person see the evil? Why does the naive keep going? Well, 
Because the prudent one is the one who fears the Lord. He's listening to the Lord. He seeks the Lord. The prudent person is the one who, who maybe we don't see the evil down the road. But we see what God has said and the current course of action, what we are called to do today, doesn't match up with what the Lord has said. And because of what God has said, I'm going to trust this, even though I can't see around the bend. I'm going to hide myself from the evil by digging into and knowing what God has said. I saw an article this week talking about China. Remember, so I grew up in the 70s and 80s when China had the one-child policy. You know, right now, China is uh, dying as a nation. They're they're not really dying. They're aging as a nation, like a lot of wealthy nations. But here's the difference. They aren't having enough children by a long shot. Right now, China has over a million people. We're not going to see it because uh, this is predicted to be like in the, you know, 22nd century, I guess, you know. But by the end of this century, China will have closer to 300 million people in it. Right now, they are predicting that America will have more people than China by the end of the century. Because... Over 50 years ago, China decided you can only have one child. Now, they did that because they thought we're overpopulated. And that, remember, that was a big thing. Soylent Green, uh, you know, the late great planet Earth, all those ideas. I think that's one of them. You know, it was all about over, overpopulated. There's too many people. I, I challenge anybody to drive through West Texas and tell us that we're overpopulated. Drive through Kansas and tell me about how we're overpopulated. Now, if you live in L.A., if you live in New York, if you live in Houston and you never get out, I can understand why you think we are overpopulated. But we're not overpopulated. But because of that fear, they stopped having enough kids. And now they're paying for it. And they're going to be paying for it for the next 100 years. And that's what, and, and, and the article, I, I, I bring this up because the article actually said, an unintended consequence. And I love that phrase because I grew up hearing about the law of unintended consequences. And my kids can sit here and smile at themselves and say, oh yeah, we've heard about the law of unintended consequences because nothing happens in the world without the law of conse- unintended consequences being active. And if there's one thing people who think that they can control the world don't understand, it's the law of unintended consequences. They didn't know it was coming. All I can tell you is is that they could have known had they read the word. Because what was the first command that that God gave us? What does he want us as a people to do more than anything? Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. And all I can say is to go from that and then to say we don't want our people to be fruitful, we don't want to multiply, that that has consequences to it. You, You can avoid the danger by saying, okay, well, what does the Lord say? And that's what we don't do as often in the world. That we, we, we can't see what the results are going to be. But we can at least know what God has said and trust Him. So back in 2020, when the government decided to shut everybody down and, and all these actions were going on and there was so much fear, 
the, the one passage I went to was in uh, 2 Samuel. When David has sinned against God by taking a census. And, and God says, what do you want to do? I'll give you three options. You pick one. You want to run from your enemies for three months? Do you want to have famine or do you want to have three days of pestilence? And David said, I really don't care what happens. Just don't hand me over to my enemies. I'd rather be in your hands. I've sinned against you. You punish me as you desire, God, and I'll take it. But don't hand me over to my enemies. Don't hand me over to men. Keep me in your hands. And we didn't know what was going to happen throughout the year, but I knew one thing. Let us, let us throw ourselves into God's hands, not the hands of men. Let, let us not rely on and trust the wisdom of the men in our lives and women. I mean, it's not just men that are foolish. Women, too, can be foolish. But let's instead trust in God. And, and by that I meant let's just you know, let's trust God for our health. Let's trust God for, uh, you know, if, if we need to get sick, then we're going to be the ones that get sick. And if we're not going to get sick, then we're not going to get sick. Let's trust God. And instead, the, our society trusted in men. We can look back and see how well that worked. But how do you look forward and see the danger? How do you look forward and see the evil? By going to the Lord and saying, what does He say? And, and that is, that is the, the message of verses 3 and 5. And if you throw 6 in there with it, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's got the same idea of that path. We don't know how it's going to go in the, for, in the future. We don't know where our kids are going to end up. We don't know how they're going to live, what choices they're going to make. But the idea here is train up, literally is dedicate. Dedicate a child in the way he should go is literally in the mouth of the path. In the mouth of the way. So, so it's the idea of at the very beginning, this is the headwater, you might say, as we are getting into this path that we are going to go, this way of living. Dedicate the child in the right way. Start him off in the, in the mouth of the path. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Get him started on the right path. And now, that second part of that verse is tough because we all know plenty of kids that are you dedicated them, you started them off, and then they go their own way. It doesn't mean it always works out. But the idea is that you start your kids with the Lord. The best you can do for them as a parent or as a grandparent, as a great-grandparent, is to encourage them and guide them and begin them in the fear of the Lord and going the right way. Not to be naive. Now, what they do with that it will be on them. But the best we can do is start them on that path. That's much different than just saying naively, oh, I'll let them choose their own way. Oh, no, I, I, I need to let them choose their own way. You know, there are people in America today who think that taking your kids to church is abuse. They think it's abusive to, to raise your kids in a faith. They, they usually only call the Christian faith the abusive one. I don't know why that is, but... Well, I do know why. Never mind. I'm just being facetious. But to train them and to bring them up in the right way. And when you take that verse with the other ones talking about the prudent sees the evil and hides himself, the, the whole focus is that the only way and the best way 
to truly protect yourself from the evil that's on the road and from the thorns and the, the, the snares that you'll find on the way of the perverse, the only way to keep yourself from that is to protect yourself by submitting to the Lord. That is, that is the only way. To submit yourself to the Lord, to trust in Him, to fear Him, to humble yourself before Him is the only way to protect yourself. By submitting to Him. And that, that's the best protection we can give our children as we teach them, as we train them, as we lead them on that path. To guide them and to, to raise them up in the fear of the Lord. That's the best chance anybody has. So as we think about what is truly valuable, submitting to the Lord and believing in Him and fearing Him, that is truly valuable in our lives. Solomon tells us in verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. This is mostly just a statement of truth. He is not telling us a proverb so much as he is acknowledging this is the way the world works. The rich rules over the poor. That's what happens. And the borrower becomes the lender's slave. If you owe money to somebody, you're not working for yourself. You're working for them, is the idea. It's a lot easier and a lot better in America to be a, a, a borrower than it was in, in Solomon's time. In Solomon's time, a person who, who owed somebody else could end up becoming their slave. We don't have that here. Thank God. But the idea is the same. If you, if you borrow money, you're working for them. You're working to give them the money. You're not working for yourself. And, and a lender is the one who, who's benefiting from that. And oftentimes it's the rich who are lending and it's the poor who are borrowing. But beyond that, most of the rules are made up to benefit the rich people. Not the poor. That's the way the world works. Solomon's acknowledging it. He's not calling any uh, you know, right or wrong to that statement. But then in verse 8, He who sows iniquity will reap vanity. He who sows iniquity. You know, we, we, we talk about you, you'll reap what you sow quite a bit, right? In, in the world. And, and that's what he's saying. If you sow iniquity, if you sow... Uh, wickedness and evil, you are going to reap nothing. That's what vanity. Vanity, the, the, the Hebrew word for vanity is, is vapor. It's nothing. And here's the sad thing is that that word isn't the one that's being translated here. Really what's being here translated here is a double reap. To reap means short. So if you think about it, you know, if you reap, you take your grain and you cut it short, Right? Well, here what he's saying is that those who sow iniquity, they're going to reap, but what do they reap? Well, they're reaping what's already shorn down. They're reaping nothing. It's as if somebody has already gone through and reaped the whole field, and they're going to come in and reap what's left. The idea is he who sows iniquity, he who is planting and sowing wickedness, well, they're they're not going to have anything to show for it. It's, it, it. it's worthless what comes out of it. Not only that, the rod of His fury, and that word fury is the same word we had last week. This is where verse 24 from last week comes in. Insolent pride, it was uh, that overflowing, it's bubbling over. 
the rod of his bubbling over, his fury, will perish. It, it will be no more. It will die. It, won't, it will not exist. And, and so what the idea here is, is the person who, who sows wickedness, who's living by wickedness, they, they end up with nothing. Everything that they're working for is worthless. It's a, it's a, it's a mirage. It's a vapor. The contrast is in verse 9. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Now, how does a rich man, how does a person who is generous that is blessed, how do they have food to give to the poor? The imagery is, is they're reaping. You know, their food is their produce, what they have managed to make. And they are able to give some of that to the poor. And when they do that, they are being generous. And when you're generous, you're going to be blessed is the idea. Going back to verse 7, talking about the, the rich rules over the poor, borrower becomes the, the lender's slave. Being, poor, or being rich or being poor, being rich is not wickedness. Being poor is not a virtue. It's what you do with it, how you live. And what he's saying here is the person who's sowing iniquity, the person who's living in wickedness is not going to get anything from it. But a person, even if they are rich, but they are generous, if they are giving from their, their their, their produce to the poor. They're taken care of and they're giving out of what they have made. They're going to be blessed by that. Because you can be rich and good. And you can be poor and wicked. It's not making a judgment on it. It's just stating that, the, the truth that the rich rules over the poor. Borrow comes lender slave. You don't want to live that way. But the focus is on how are we, what are we doing with what we've got? Are we generous with what we've got or are we sowing iniquity? And so the idea is that you will reap what you sow. Are you, are you sowing blessing? Are you sowing generosity in the world? You're going to reap blessing. Why? Because you're operating under God's ways of living. Because you're focused on not how much can I have, how much can I retain, how much can I keep, but you're focused on living like God and caring for your fellow man. And so, right there at the end, what he's telling us is, is as, we, as we go through life, a good reputation, if we, if we go back through, a good reputation is better than wealth. Well, here, what are we talking about? A person who is generous to the poor. Would you say that a person who is generous to the poor is probably going to have a good reputation, a good name where they live? That is to be valued. A person who is going to live that way is a person who realizes that the Lord is the one who has provided this for me. The Lord is the one who gives me what I need. And they're going to be a person who isn't focused on how do I get ahead? How do I, you know, what path is going to get me rich fast? Instead, they're going to be focused on honoring the Lord, fearing the Lord, and living in humility. Those things all come together to, to develop a person who is generous, who is giving to the poor. And the end result is somebody who does those things, somebody who lives that way, who has the fear of the Lord, who recognizes the Lord is the provider of all, when they are generous in that way, that generosity leads to prosperity. And, and I don't know about you, but prosperity is like a dirty word in my mind because of the, the, the people who hold up the gospel as if it was just to get us rich. You know, the, the prosperity gospel makes it to where I don't even want to use the word prosperity. 
But what Solomon is telling us is that generosity leads to prosperity. Not necessarily that you will have bigger and better things and more of them. But true prosperity. Godliness. Righteousness. Solomon equates, he says, you're going to be blessed. Solomon says that um, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. That, to me, is prosperity. Generosity leads to prosperity. Not, not hoarding. Not focusing on how do I get it, no matter what it does to my reputation or no matter what it does to other people. But a generous spirit. A spirit that recognizes God is the one who provides all that we need. God is the one who has made me and will make me. And so I'm going to focus on what God calls me to do. Because at the end of the day, whether I'm rich or poor is not what matters. What's going to matter is, is do I have a good name? And there is no better name in heaven or on earth than the name of Jesus. And the real question for us is, do we bear His name in life? Do we have a good name because we have His name? Because we live as He has lived? That is what is truly truly valuable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we admit, Lord, that we can often get very focused on our finances. We have bills to pay. We have things breaking down. We have medical issues. We have um, increased expenses and decreased income at times. It can be very easy to focus on our finances, to want to be richer. We, we see the images on the Internet and on TV and in the news and all around us, and it, it seems to be a great thing to get ahead. And yet your word tells us what is more important is a good name, that what is more important is being generous, that what is more important is fearing you and humbling ourselves before you. Lord, we pray that we would be wise, that we would be prudent, that we would uh, see the danger, even if it's not right in front of us, that we would see the possibility of the danger if we walk in those ways. And that we would humble ourselves to walk in Your way, to seek You, and to trust in You, Lord, that You are the one who provides. You are the one who has made us. Lord, we pray that we would trust in You today. If there's anyone here, Lord, who struggles with wanting to get rich, wanting to provide all that they have through their own abilities, we pray, Lord, that they would hear Your Word and that they would be convicted to trust in Jesus, to trust in You. Lord, we pray today that our faith and our hope would rest in You. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.